Mr. Sidney talked about the same passage that I'm going to preach on today. There's kind of a part of it that says maybe I just just pray and we should all go home. But y'all ain't that lucky. The other part of me that says I should preach for 30 minutes, one out. So, all right. Luke chapter 3. Luke chapter 3. We are talking about John the Baptist this morning. We're going to kind of go over a lot of the same things Brother Sidney just went over for us. Luke chapter 3. That's in the New Testament, just not too many books, third book over. So if you are not too familiar with the Bible, no worries. It's a lot to lot to remember, a lot of books, and I understand. So Luke is in the New Testament if you need to find it. Luke chapter 3, we're going to look at verses 1 through 18. We'll pray and then we'll jump right into the text. Father God, I come to you this morning. I thank you for this good word that we have, and I pray that you would hide me behind the cross. I pray that you would uh, clear my heart and clear my mind, dear Lord. I pray that you would clear the hearts and minds of any in here, God. There may be some who've come today and who are excited and eager and ready to hear your word. There may be some who come today with just other worries of the world. There may be some that are just their minds on other things, but I pray that you would just draw us all to the same place, dear Lord. Your Holy Spirit uh, be among us and and point us to you, point us to Jesus Christ, dear Lord. Just as uh, John the Baptist came to point everyone to Jesus Christ, so let your word and your Holy Spirit do the same today, God, so that you'd be glorified in this place. And I pray that you just would be with us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. 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 We'll go through the text just a verse or two at a time and, and kind of dig in. Uh, leading up to this point, there was... I'll give you guys a little backdrop. <clears throat> Give you guys a little context of, of what had taken place. You read through the whole Old Testament, you see God's chosen people, Israel. You see uh, that God had, had promised to bless them and take care of them, but it seemed like that they were continually getting into trouble. It was because of their disobedience. There were always other peoples in that area where Israel <laughs> were, and they were always tempting them to turn to other gods, to turn to other ways. And God's people, Israel, would be faithful for a while, and then they would, they would begin to fall back. They would begin to backslide. They would oftentimes go through difficult situations, and God was always faithful to deliver them. There was always a faithful remnant. There were always some who were faithful in Israel. And God was always good in the midst of, of, of His anger and in the midst of the, the things that were being poured out on them. He would always bring them back in, and he would always restore them. But, but it was a cycle that God knew that this, this cycle of the way things were was not good enough. It was, it was not going to be something that would last forever. God had set up this structure uh, where the, there were priests of the people, and the people could go to the priest, and the priests would, would, would take their sins, and they would make atonement for them. They would make sacrifices for them on their behalf. But the problem with us as human beings is that we continually sin, sometimes intentional, sometimes unintentional, but sin keeps creeping up in our lives. And so for the priest and the people of that day who would sin, uh, the people would continually have to go and the, and the priest would continually have to make sacrifice. Uh, God knew that this way was not going to be good enough. You can read about that in the book of Hebrews. God saw that there needed to be a better way. And so he began to prepare the people and give them a little hint. 
began to give them prophecy of one that was coming. He began to give them prophecy of Jesus who was to come. One who would come and deliver his people for all time. We see lots of prophets in the Old Testament. Some we label as major prophets, and that's because the books are a lot longer. And some we label as, as minor prophets, and that's because the books are a lot shorter. But, but not only in those books of prophecy do we see mention of this Messiah who is to come, but we also see mention of Jesus all throughout the Old Testament. We see little clues, and we see little foreshadowings of Jesus as early as Genesis chapter 3, when God says, the seed of the woman, his heel would crush the head of the serpent. We see all of these little little, little uh, foreshadowings and pointing us toward Jesus. We see that oh, when God calls on Abraham to sacrifice Isaac and Abraham is going, to, going through with it and God says stop. But what we see there is a foreshadowing of, of the giving of a son to be the sacrifice. And we see a foreshadowing there of Jesus who is to come, who is going to be a sacrifice for many through the seed of of Abraham. And all throughout the Old Testament, there are these promises of this Messiah. Now, for the people of Israel, who are constantly in conflict, who are constantly driven from their land, who are constantly uh, being ruled and being servants of other people, albeit many times it's because of their own disobedience that God allowed them to go get into those situations, but they are looking forward to this promised Messiah, this promised Redeemer who is going to come. And they're waiting and waiting and waiting. And from about the time that the Old Testament stops to the time that we begin to see Jesus born in the New Testament, there's about a 400-year gap there. There's about a 400-year gap where there is silence, where God doesn't speak through the prophets, where there's, there's nothing. The people are just living their normal life. I'm, I'm sure that some begin to doubt. There were probably many during that time, like some of us may be about some things, that when something's taken too long, we just kind of write it off and think it's never going to happen. But there were some in Israel, no doubt, as we see in the text, especially in the book of Matthew and Luke, as we look at these uh, Christmas texts, if we can call them that, a text about the birth of Christ, we see that there are some who are looking forward to this Messiah who is to come. And here today, we have John, John the Baptist. And John the Baptist was sent to prepare the way for the Messiah. Now, this, this text that we're reading today, it took place probably sometime after Christ's birth. Christ was probably grown at this point in time. We will talk next week some about the birth of Christ. But what we're going to talk about today is the importance of Christ, the significance of, of Christ, and, and John the Baptist preparing the way and how that can apply to us as Christians as well. Luke chapter 3 verse 1, In the fifteenth year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, while Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, Herod was tetrarch of Galilee. His brother Philip, tetrarch of the region of Etura, and Trachonitus of Lacionis, tetrarch of Abilene. During the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, God's word came to John, the son of Zechariah, and the wilderness. So here we have a lot of names that some of you may notice, but we're introduced to a lot of names of, of people who are around during this time that we see during Jesus' birth. And so these are familiar names to us from Jesus' birth and from Jesus' ministry. 
In verse 3, he went into all the vicinity of the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. So John is going around and he has begun to preach to people that they need forgiveness of their sins. Now this is not... This is nothing new to the people. The people of Israel would be well aware of the fact that they are sinners. They would be well aware of the fact that there needs to be atonement made for their sins. But it is interesting here that John is preaching baptism. Because up until this point, there really isn't a whole lot of mention of baptism uh, throughout the Old Testament. Now, we see uh, some, some references in the Old Testament to the priests who are supposed to bathe themselves in a certain way to be made clean. And perhaps throughout the years, uh, that has been interpreted in some way as something that is necessary. Perhaps this is something that God laid on to John to preach and teach, that of baptism. It obviously was a common teaching to them. It does not appear from the text that that seemed to be something odd that people had never heard of and didn't know of. So I'm not really sure where this this idea of baptism came to be. Now, I do think it's important. I'm not saying that it's unimportant. After all, as, as you'll see later in the text, if you read on, is that Jesus himself was baptized. Jesus himself calls us to be baptized. It is a symbolic thing to show that the old person goes into the water and is washed not by the water, but by the blood of Jesus Christ, and we are raised. Anew. That goes along with what Scripture said, and Jesus calls us to do that. And if you are a Christian and you've accepted Jesus and you've never followed through with baptism, then you should do that. That is a command of our Lord. John here is, is preaching baptism. There are people who come to John and they are getting baptized. Let's read on a little further. As it is written in the book of the words of the prophet Isaiah. Now we talked about those prophecies in the Old Testament. Here is one of them quoted from the book of Isaiah. A voice of one crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Make his path straight. Every valley will be filled and every mountain and hill will be made low. The crooked will become straight the rough way smooth, and everyone will see the salvation of God. He then said to the crowds who came out to be baptized by him, Brood of vipers who warned you to flee from the coming wrath. So here we have John the Baptist. He is that one who is coming to prepare the way for Jesus Christ. The one who had been prophesied about for hundreds of years to God's chosen people, to the people of Israel. There were many who had looked forward for this day, and now the day is about to come because John is here, and he is preparing the way for Jesus Christ who is about to enter onto the scene. He is letting the people know that they should get ready, that the Messiah is about to come. He is reminding the people of their sinfulness, their need for forgiveness of sins. He is reminding the people of their need for a Savior, and he is preparing the way. Jesus is going to come and Jesus is going to make all things right. He's going to level everything out. He's going to smooth everything out. He is going to make everything just right. And he is preparing the hearts of the people, John is, so that they will be accepting of Jesus, of the Messiah, once he steps onto the scene. And so he goes and he begins to preach to them. Uh, we see that he's, he's already involved in this baptism, but the first thing that we see John the Baptist say is he begins to preach to them as brood of vipers. Whoa, you talk about ruffling some feathers. 
He didn't come out preaching God loves everybody, grace to everybody. He come out and he just stuck it to them. He told them exactly what was what. He called the people out and he said, brood of vipers. Now that's a term kind of implying that these people were like snakes, like venomous snakes. And so many times as we read in God's Word, we see that that is exactly what the people of Jesus' day were. There were many of the Jews, uh, Jesus' own people, the people of Israel, who had this, 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 this characteristic of being bitter and angry, and they were, they were arguing and they were fussing and they were feuding, and they were keeping God's Word from being preached and being taught the way it should. They were keeping people from the freedom that God wanted to give them, and they were keeping them under the burden of all of these laws and all of these other rituals and traditions, and they were, they, were, they were rough people. Jesus encounters these people. This is not the only time in the scripture that we see people referred to as brood of vipers. So again, uh, Luke here is setting the stage, and John in his, in his message is, is, is pointing out to the people exactly the condition that they are in. Now some of us may read this text and think, boy, them people were bad, but you know what we ought to do? We ought to look at ourselves and say, let me check myself, because maybe that term brood of viper, maybe I need to hear that too. Maybe the Holy Spirit's speaking to me. Maybe there's somebody that spoke some truth into my life, and I didn't want to hear it, and they kind of told me the truth. They, they told me that I was a brood of vipers, even if they didn't use that phrase, but maybe they call me out for some sin that I wasn't aware of, or maybe I was aware of and just didn't want to hear it. And what John is not trying to do here is just condemn them to hell. What he's trying to do is get them to open their eyes and realize that there is hope, that there is something better that is coming. He is trying to point them toward the Messiah who is about to take the scene. Therefore, produce fruit consistent with repentance. Now that's a good verse for us right there. You know, we, we've been going through the book of Galatians on Wednesday nights, and just a couple of weeks ago, we talked about uh, the fruits of the flesh. That is all the sinful stuff that we do. And we talked about the fruits of the Spirit. That is the things that we should do when we have accepted Jesus Christ in our life. That is, when we are baptized, as we talked about earlier, that old self going under, being made clean with Jesus Christ, our old self, that is our sins of the flesh, those things should be gone. They should be in the past. It's not that we are no longer going to sin, but we should not continually be in those sins. When we do sin, there should be a desire to repent for us who are in Christ. And when we are raised in Christ and we are made alive in Him, we are a new person. And therefore, once we have repented and said, Lord Jesus, I realize that I am a sinner. Please come and forgive me. Then our life should be different. There should be different fruits that are produced. If we are living for the flesh and we say, I'm a Christian, but you're still living the same way, then you need to go back and you need to examine your life. You need to say, am I really serving the Lord? Have I really made that decision for Him? And maybe you come to the conclusion that you have, but you're just living in some bad sin, you need to get out of that. Maybe you come to the conclusion that you have not really given your life to Jesus. Praise the Lord that you still have an opportunity. You're still breathing. You still have a breath. You still can call out to the Lord while He is near. 
But what John is saying here is there should be something different for those who claim to be children of God. And he says, look, produce fruit consistent with repentance. That statement was true for the people of John's day. And guess what? It's true for the people of us. You know, as Christians, we should be fruit inspectors. You know what it's like. You go to the supermarket sometimes, and you're, what are you, if, if, when you go to get fruit, you don't just blindly pick a piece and throw it in your, in your basket. No, you look, and if you see a piece of bad fruit, what do you do? You throw it to the side, and you look for a good piece of fruit. Why? Because bad fruit's not good for nothing. And that's what God calls us to do in our life, is to be fruit inspectors. That is, examine the actions and the attitudes that we have and say, God, is this what you called me to do? Am I being, am I being gentle? Do I have self-control? Am I being loving? Am I being kind? Am I doing these things that your word calls me to do? And when we see a bad fruit in our life, and they're in there, Christians, we got bad fruits in our life sometimes, Christians. We need to take those things and throw them out. And when I say throw them out, I mean repent. Just go to the Lord and say, look, God, forgive me, I repent. And then we need to continue to produce good fruit, fruit that is worthy of repentance. See, the problem with the people of Jesus' day, even the ones who claimed to be godly, is they were not producing godly fruit. They were producing bad fruit that was not promoting the kingdom of God, but that was hindering the growth of the kingdom of God. And so there's a lot that John is saying in these texts. He's really trying to open the eyes of the people of that day, but also our eyes. These verses are just as good for us, church, as they were for the people of John's day. And don't start saying to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father, for I tell you that God is able to raise up children for Abraham from these stones. So again, that, that verse may seem out of context if you're not familiar with the Bible, but I'll tell you what was going on there. See, Abraham was the father of faith. Abraham uh, believed in God, he trusted in God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. And so a lot of these people of Jesus' day, they were constantly going back saying, we follow what Moses said. We are children of Abraham. We are, we are God's chosen people. And they were resting on the fact that just because of the family they were born into, they somehow thought that that was enough and that's all they needed to do, but they weren't living a life that God called them to live. And there may be some in this church today there may be some that we encounter that somehow think that because their family has gone to church their whole life, because their mother and father and grandfather or brother and sister are living a good life, after all, they've gone too. They know the songs. They even know some scriptures. Uh, surely that's enough. So therefore, I must be a child of God too because I know those things and all of my family believes in God. But see, a relationship with Jesus Christ is something that is personal for each and every one of us. It's a choice. It's a decision that each and every one of us have to make. And that's what John was pointing out to the people here. He says it doesn't matter who you're born from. He said God can make children of Abraham out of stones. He could take stones and say, all right, you're a child of Abraham. But that's not going to make the difference. What is going to make the difference in our life and in the lives of these brood of vipers here is the change of heart that comes only through 
Jesus Christ. So John is breaking down everything that they were, they, were, they were currently standing on. He was letting them know that it's not good enough, but he was preparing the way to let them know that even though what they were doing and what they had put their faith and trust in was not good enough and was not what God desired, there was one coming who was good enough and who was going to accomplish everything God desired, and he wanted them to put their trust in this coming Messiah. In Jesus. Even now the axe is ready to strike the root of the trees. Therefore every tree that doesn't produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. Now, I don't know exactly what this text means, but, but I believe that it means when he's talking about the root of the tree, I think he's talking about Israel here. And I think he's saying, look, it doesn't matter just because you're necessarily of Israel. When Jesus comes, Jesus promised to be the Savior of the whole world. While he wants to bless Israel and continue to bless them, it's not just enough to say, hey, we're Jews, so therefore we're automatically going to be saved. Again, John is pointing out to them that it is not enough to trust in these things and where you're from. But what God is calling us to is to trust in Jesus Christ. What then should we do, the crowds were asking. Now, this is interesting. He's got their attention. Obviously, he's got their attention. Because they're not just saying, okay, would you shut up? Would you hurry up? we got to go. But instead, they're saying, there's something wrong. They realized that there was something wrong, that there was something missing, that there was something that they needed other than what they had and what they were doing. And so the crowd began to seek and began to ask, well, what do we do? What do we do? What, should, what then should we do, the crowds were asking. He replied to them, The one who has two shirts must share with someone who has none. And the one who has food must do the same. So here we go. Here, John is getting back to the heart of the law that God gave. Now, what John is not saying, he's not saying that Jesus is not important, but in this particular text, it's interesting that he points out what really matters. And what he points out is the same thing that has always really mattered to God, both in the Old Testament and in the New Testament verses after this, and that is a love for other people. That is to love other people. We've seen that in the last few weeks in our study of Galatians, that what really mattered was not a fulfilling or living by following the letter of the law, but rather it was a genuine love for one another. And in this case, John the Baptist is saying the same thing. They say, what do we need to do? And John is saying, here's what you need to do. You need to love each other. And those who don't have a need, if you've got a need and you can meet it, you need to help those who have a need. Tax collectors also came to be baptized. And they asked him, teacher, what should we do? He told them, don't collect any more taxes than what you have been authorized. Again, there's a, he's saying, just love your neighbor. Don't steal from them. Look, you have a job to do as a tax, tax collector. He doesn't tell them to stop collecting taxes as a whole. He says, just don't skim a little bit off the top. Just love people. Don't take advantage of people. He was dealing with the way that people were interacting with one another. You see, a big problem in Jesus' day is that there were some people, uh, religious people, uh, who thought that they were better than other people. They didn't want to have anything to do with tax collectors and, and sick people and the crazy people and the prostitutes. And what, what 
John was trying to do here and what Jesus tried to do and what all of God's Word tries to do is to try to keep us from being judgmental. That is not that we say that none of these things are wrong or bad, but that we try to love people and minister to people in whatever way is necessary. Some soldiers also questioned him, what should we do? He said to them, don't take money from anyone by force or false accusation. Be satisfied with your wages. So again, we have, we have a group of soldiers who come, and they say, what do we do? And what were they doing? They were mistreating people. They were using their power and authority so that they could go out and take money. They were, they were making up false accusations. Maybe, hey, we believe you committed a crime. we got to go in and search your house. And then they would go in, and they would take things that weren't theirs. And they were, they were not treating people with respect. They were not treating people the way that God desires for us to treat one another. And so John was saying, look, the first thing you need to do if you want to get stuff straight is start treating people with respect. Start loving one another. And we have three different uh, examples here that he gives in this text that we just looked at. Now the people were waiting expectantly, and all of them were debating in their minds whether John might be the Messiah. John answered them all, I baptize you with water. But one is coming who is more powerful than I. I am not worthy to untie the strap of his sandals. Boy, ain't that interesting? Obviously, John was doing a pretty good job at preaching because there were other, other rabbis and other preachers of the day. But there was something about John that was different. So much so that some of the group said, hey, he might very well be the Messiah. But God had already prophesied that there was one coming, and God had already anointed John with the ability to come and to preach and prepare the way and get the people's hearts ready so that they would say, hey, we need something that we don't have. We need this new Messiah. And we see that John is doing just that, and he is being successful in that. The people are coming realizing that there is something that they need, and when they call him out and say, look, you must be the Messiah, and he says, hold up right there. He says, if you think I'm something special, you ain't seen nothing yet. I am nobody. I am nobody compared to the Messiah. I'm not even worthy to untie his shoe. So he is setting the stage. He is, he is putting Jesus up where he needs to be. He is, he is letting the people know that this Jesus, this Messiah who is coming, is going to be something so special and so much greater than any of us. We are just human sinners, but this Messiah who is coming, he is the Son of God, and he is going to be something amazing. And he was setting the tone. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing shovel is in his hand to clear the threshing floor and gather the wheat into his barn. But the chafe he will burn up with a fire that never goes out. Then along with many other exhortations, he proclaimed good news to the people. He sets the tone for him. He says, look, one who is coming, Messiah, Jesus, is coming. And when he comes, he's going to separate the good from the bad. He's going to separate those who have put their faith and trust in him from those who haven't put their faith and trust in him. He is going to give eternal life to those who have put their faith and trust in him. And he is going to cast all the rest to the lake of fire for all of eternity. And John is saying, look, you have a choice. Jesus is the one who is in control. If you trust him, you can be delivered. If you trust him, you can be forgiven. John was 
preparing the way for a world who needed to know about the Messiah. You know, in a lot of ways, what John the Baptist was doing is the same thing that, that you and I, Christian, are called to do. <clears throat> he, was, he was preparing the way for a Messiah who was to come, but, but God calls us to go out and prepare the way for people who need a Messiah who has already came. John was speaking about what was going to happen, but we, Christian, can speak about what already has happened. We can speak about the Messiah of whom we celebrate. Of while we, we set aside this time and while we say, look, we're going to celebrate Jesus Christ in this time of the year. We do it because of who Jesus did and what he was. We do it for exactly what John was preaching on, letting us know that there was one who came to prepare us, to get us ready. And we as Christians, we have the same job to do as John the Baptist. Just as in those days there were many who were searching for something, who, was living, who were living a life that they shouldn't, who needed forgiveness of sin but didn't know where to find it, we need to be like John the Baptist as we go out in the world and tell people the good news and say, look, you are sinners, but I want to tell you about one who can save you. And that's what Christmas is all about. If, if, if Jesus never came to this earth, if Jesus was never born, then you and I would have no hope. We would not have any reason to sit in here. If Jesus Christ had never came onto this earth and died for our sins, then you and I would have no hope. But because of what Jesus Christ did, we have the hope of what John was talking about. We have the hope because we know the one he talked about has came. The one he prepared the way for, the one that he prepared the people's hearts for, he has came. And maybe through the words of John the Baptist today that we see in Luke, maybe through those words today, the same words that he preached to the people back then, maybe those words have touched your heart. And maybe you realize that the same Messiah that he was calling them to turn to is the same Messiah that he is calling you to turn to. So look at your heart. Examine your heart. Are you a child of the Father? And if you are a child of the Father, are you producing fruit that God wants you to produce? Are you living the life that you should live? Have you accepted the Messiah that John the Baptist was preaching? Because he has came and he gave his life for you. He died on a cross. He was buried in the grave for three days and he has been resurrected. Have you put your faith and trust in him? I guarantee you if you do that, that's the best Christmas present you will ever get. That's the best Christmas present that any of us could ever get. The gift of salvation. The gift of Jesus Christ. And you have that choice to make. Have you chosen Jesus? Let's pray. Father God, we come to you this morning and I thank you for these words and I pray that, that they have worked in the hearts of the people. God, maybe there are some in here that, that kind of feel like your people who, who feel like they've been waiting for so long, which seems like hundreds of years, dear Lord, and they, they're looking for something, God. They, they've heard about Jesus their whole life, but maybe they've never trusted in him. God, I pray that today that they would come, that the wait would be over, that they would that they would have a relationship with you, Lord Jesus, that you would take care of their burdens, that you would give them the peace and comfort. Lord Jesus, we thank you for coming. We thank you for loving us. We thank you for, for the good news that is your life and your death and your resurrection. And so, I, God, I pray that you would help us to be like little John the Baptist. Dear Lord, I pray that we would carry on his mission. God, he was reaching a, a lost and dying world that needed to know of the Messiah. And dear Lord, our, our, our life isn't that much different. We still have, have many in this world who are lost and dying and who are in need of a Messiah. 
And God, maybe you've called some of us to go and preach the gospel. So I pray that we would do that. And I ask these things in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.